Welcome to the debrief. I'm Diane Macedo. Our top stories this morning. California is on fire. Flames are catching all across the state. We're looking at those wildfires and firefighters efforts to try to get them under control as new a fire, at least one new fire has erupted in the south. We're also taking a look at the latest on El Chapo Guzman, the accused drug lord, and the first day of trial that wasn't quite the first day of trial because of some drama with the jury and also violence in Gaza. We have a reporter there on the scene. We'll be checking in with that, but first, our headlines. Florida's vote recount continues. In Palm Beach County, the machines are up and running again. They overheated last night, forcing election officials to start over. British Prime Minister Theresa May says they have a draft of a deal that pushes them closer to actually leaving the EU. If the Prime Minister is successful in winning the approval of her divided cabinet, the next test and bigger one will come in Parliament shortly before Christmas. The backlash growing over Amazon's decision to move its two new headquarters to New York City and Arlington, Virginia. Critics say the year-long competition between 238 cities was just a ploy by Amazon to get its hands on a treasure trove of powerful information. That data including transportation, real estate and workforce development plans for cities across the country. Layoffs are coming to Starbucks. The company now says it plans to let go about 5% of its global workforce. About 350 people have been getting their notices this week. Cuts are coming to marketing, technology, and store development. And the nation's leading e-cigarette maker, Juul Labs, has stopped retail sales of some flavors in an effort to keep them out of the hands of minors. The move comes ahead of an expected government crackdown on underage sale of e-cigarettes. The flavors pulled from store shelves include mango, fruit, and cucumber. And in London this morning, a 41-gun salute marking the 70th birthday of Prince Charles. The prince is marking the milestone with new photos surrounded by what he values most, his family, including grandkids Prince George, Princess Charlotte, and even little Prince Louis. And we begin with those deadly fires in Northern California. Up north, the campfire has now claimed at least 48 lives as firefighters continue to try to get those under control. Hundreds also are possibly still missing. Eva Pilgrim is in Paradise, California. With more on that, Eva. Diane, the destruction is just indescribable. It stretches for miles and miles, charred gray remains. You can see that house just reduced to rubble. These cars left here on the side of the road. And this eerie sight we've seen multiple times, the door left open. Whoever was inside this car rushing out so quickly to escape to safety. The car was so hot, you can actually see the aluminum melted here on the ground. And the glass from the car actually melted. When you look inside, you can see nothing inside there. You can't even make out what is inside. And the other interesting thing I've, I keep seeing are, look at these tires. They look like strings now because they melted um, and kind of pulled apart in that way. 48 people so far have been confirmed dead in this fire. 200 plus people are missing. And just to give you a sense of how many people have been affected, 52 
2,000 people were evacuated out of this area. Almost 9,000 structures were burned, destroyed, and most of those structures were homes. So, so many people, so many communities just gone in this area. As you drive around, you just see nothing, just rubble and gray and dark. And I'm not sure if you can tell, but it's actually very, very smoky still. The air quality is not good. It's not safe for people to breathe. We've been wearing masks most of the time. I just want to show you some of the members of our crew. They actually have their masks on still um, because you're trying to preserve your lungs. And if you actually breathe it in for too long, uh, it hurts. It hurts your eyes. It hurts your throat. It's really not good for you. Um, and so that's one of the reasons that they're not letting people back into this area. And there's no timeline on when they're going to let people back. Authorities still have this painstaking task. They have to go through lot by lot, one to check for safety, but they also have to check to see if there are any missing people and they can find and they're sifting through this rubble looking for any any of those missing people just just in case they're there. They're also publishing a list of those names in hopes that they can answer some of those questions. Maybe people uh, were separated from their loved ones and they just haven't been able to get in touch with each other yet. So they're putting out this list, hoping that they can cross off some of the names on that list uh, by hearing from people who maybe know where they are. Uh, but still a lot of work to be done and this air quality, no word on when it's going to get better. It just takes time. Uh, and authorities are telling people it's going to take time, but all of those people, those thousands and thousands of people now displaced to those nearby towns, waiting, hoping for when they can actually come back in and see what their home looks like, what the destruction is from this fire, and what, if anything, is left behind. Diane. All right, Eva, thanks. Unfortunately, it's a similar picture in Southern California where a new fire erupted overnight just east of Los, Ange east of Los Angeles, tearing through people's backyards. This as firefighters continue to fight the massive Woolsey fire down there. Nick Saletti is in Oak Park, California with the latest on that. Nick? Diane, the good news is more people are starting to return home here in Southern California, but sadly, this is what so many of them are going to find. You can see this house destroyed here behind me, burned down by the Woolsey fire, just one of hundreds of structures that have burned down since this fire started last week. And if I show you here, you can see the entire front of this house just collapsed. The windows blew out most likely from the heat. And if we pan over here, you can just see parts of the drywall, parts of the roof, some of the studs, all of it on the ground here from that fire. More than 400 structures so far here in Southern California have burned. And if we go over here, I just want to show you this. It explains the randomness of these fires. You can see over there, look at that. That home is totally fine. What happened is because of the winds, these fires sometimes just blow different ways depending on the way the wind carries them. This one, unfortunately, was one of the victims of that fire, Diane. Yeah, so unpredictable the way the winds are driving these fires is part of the reason they're so hard to fight. Uh, but on that note, Nick, how are they making progress on that front? Is there any kind of an estimate on when things return to normal there? Oh, the good news is those crews are making significant progress. This fire so far, 40% contained. The only issue is those high winds will be back today. Another red flag warning has been issued. They're expecting those wind gusts to peak somewhere around 45 miles per hour. So as you know, dry conditions coupled with those high winds, you know that can be a recipe for disaster. So these fire crews once again are on high alert and they're not letting their guards down.
All right, that's one of the hard things about those winds. Not only are they erratic, but they make the conditions even drier, which, of course, fires love and firefighters hate. We're wishing them the best of luck. Stay safe, Nick. Thank you. And now let's head over to the White House, where the president is insinuating that some high-level changes could be coming to the White House soon, but it's actually the first lady who's making headlines after a statement about one of the president's cabinet members. Let's check in with Karen Travers, who's outside the White House. Karen, the first lady is not mincing words here. This was quite a surprising public statement yesterday, Diane, from the First Lady's office. The First Lady's office says that the Deputy National Security Advisor, Mira Ricardel, no longer deserves the honor of serving here in the White House. Essentially, this is the First Lady's office saying she needs to be fired. She needs to be pushed out of a job. So, of course, that sparked a big flurry of activity here at the White House. A lot of questions. What prompted this? What's the backstory here? And sources are telling us that the First Lady was irritated at some of the planning that Ricardel was involved in for her trip to Africa last month and felt that Ricardel was not treating her staff with respect. So now this is a very bold move from the first lady. Now, not uh, you know a precedent setting. We've certainly seen first ladies have significant influence over their husband's cabinet, their staff, policy, but we don't seem to think this is the first time we've seen a first lady's office preemptively put out a statement proactively urging the president to get rid of somebody on his senior staff. Yeah, she is putting it out there, that's for sure. Um, and Karen, this isn't the only person on the president's staff who seems like their position might be in danger. What's the latest on Homeland Security Secretary Kirstjen Nielsen and Chief of Staff John Kelly? Now, right now, they're both still in their positions, but the big question, Diane, is for how long? And sources are saying the expectation is that the president will push Kirsten Nielsen out of that role as Secretary of Homeland Security. And it could be an interesting domino effect, a one-two punch. If Nielsen is pushed out, Chief of Staff John Kelly could be the next to go. He has been a forceful defender of Nielsen here at the White House, and in fact, sources say he's been trying to delay her departure. But Nielsen has been the target of the president's anger and frustration about the border. Uh, he's not happy with the number of border crossings. He's not happy that Nielsen is not pushing and enforcing stricter immigration policies. Whether or not she's just a scapegoat for the president on this, her defenders will say there's only so much she can do. But, Diane, she hasn't even been on the job a year. She's had a very strained relationship with the president, and certainly the expectation is she would be part of the next big cabinet shakeup. All right, definitely watching the White House closely right now. Karen Travers from outside the White House. We appreciate it, Karen. Thanks. And now let's go over to the trial of accused drug lord El Chapo Guzman. It got off to a dramatic start, if you can even call it a start. The opening arguments had to be delayed because two of the anonymous jurors already had to be replaced. Whit Johnson is at the courthouse in Brooklyn. Whit, what happened with these jurors? Well, Diane, as you mentioned, really a dramatic start before those opening statements even began. This has been a long process with jurors complaining, worried about their security, their safety, and also the time that this trial is going to take, expected to last up to four months. I'm going to get into that in just a second, but I want to give you a lay of the land here. As you can see, this street behind me in front of the courthouse pretty much empty. Media tripods and cameras as a lot of the journalists have rushed inside for those opening statements to get back underway again today. The unprecedented security, the street blocked off here so no cars are able to pass through in front of the building. But as you mentioned, those two jurors really came as a surprise for those who were in the courtroom. One juror actually delivered a handwritten note to the judge expressing that she, she had problems with anxiety and medical issues, had a note from a doctor and the judge fearing that this juror could actually 
actually break down crying during the trial, decided to go ahead and dismiss her. A second juror who is self-employed expressed financial concerns and said that he simply couldn't manage the, the months-long trial. It would be too much of a financial burden to, to him and his family. So those jurors were dismissed and replaced. The opening statements yesterday morning got underway. Guzman is facing 17 counts, including drug trafficking, murder, kidnapping. He's accused of more than uh, almost three dozen murders and a variety of different crimes. The prosecution painting him to be this, this, this drug kingpin who for decades murdered and slaughtered those who were his competitors. Anything that got in his way uh, described him as, as being greedy and, and, and was able to come up with billions of dollars through this, uh, through, through his elaborate uh, uh, drug deals over the years. Had a diamond encrusted pistol, a gold plated AK-47. So there was this, this myth of El Chapo Guzman that was created. And that is something that the defense is actually trying to fight against, saying that this is all basically a, a hit job from uh, the governments of U.S. and Mexico and actually putting the blame on his deputy that he was the real man in charge who was running things while uh, Guzman was actually on the run and escaping from uh, two prisons. All right, we'll be interesting to see if that defense works. I know the prosecution is trying to argue they shouldn't even be able to say that. Uh, so they're already off to quite the dramatic start on several levels with... Um, but in terms of safety and security, there just seem to be so many concerns surrounding that in this trial. Not only does El Chapo have a history of breaking out of maximum security prisons, but I know, you know, in terms of the jury, people might be wondering why it's been so difficult to retain the jurors, but their own security is one of the big concerns as well. Well, you can imagine they are keeping the jurors' names anonymous in all of this uh, and plan to keep it that way after the trial is over. But you can imagine what this man, uh, Guzman, is accused of. Years and years, the prosecution is, is pinning almost three dozen homicides on him that he was connected to, they say. So there is there, fear is a real issue with the jury. And so those jurors are being escorted to and from the courthouse by U.S. Marshals every single day. There's extra security also for any of the witnesses who may be called. And this facility is actually uh, receiving its, its unprecedented level security. It's the most security on a daily basis at this courthouse uh, in the history of the building. So you can imagine what's going on here. Everything cut off. There's also a, a lot that we don't know about El Chapo Guzman and actually where he's being housed as the trial is taking place. We know that he was in a maximum security facility in Manhattan uh, in solitary confinement for a period of time. Um, but what is happening now and where exactly he is during the trial because they don't want to shut down the Brooklyn Bridge every single time he's passing back and forth. So there's a lot of unknowns about how this is all playing out right now. But security a top priority and you can imagine why as this trial plays out, Diane. Yep, rightfully so. Whit Johnson from from the courthouse in Brooklyn. Whit, we appreciate it. And I want to go over now to that escalating violence near the Gaza Strip. The UN Security Council actually met today to discuss the issue, but has not been able to reach an agreement on what to do about it. Meanwhile, the bloodshed continues. Molly Hunter is there with the latest on that. Good morning, Molly. Hey, Diane. Good afternoon from here. So we're down here in southern Israel. We're right on the Gaza border. I'm going to have Nikki pan over just so you can see. That's Gaza right there. We are half a mile from the border. I think we're probably about a mile, actually, from our Gaza producer Sammy's house. We are incredibly close, but 
it's all quiet. You can't hear anything. Right here, though, Diane, I am at the spot where that Israeli military bus was blown up by Hamas two days ago. That propaganda video, Diane, that we saw yesterday, I'm not sure if you have that up on screen. It's a really, really slick um, Hamas propaganda video. They gave it to Al-Aqsa TV to show. And you see that Israeli bus. Uh, all the soldiers get out. It pulls around to right where we're standing. And that's when uh, the anti-tank fire comes from Gaza. But Diane, the ceasefire is holding right now. So it's all quiet. Actually, there's a military zone right about a half mile away as well. Uh, so we've actually been hearing some firing, but that's just from the military drill, the Israeli military says. Um, but it's quiet. So last night, as we said, the Palestinian militant factions agreed with Egypt on a mediated ceasefire. Uh, Israel last night says that they were holding fire unless absolutely required. Um, but there were huge protests last night, actually, in these border towns right down here in southern Israel. This is Netanyahu's base, and they were not happy. They feel like uh, Netanyahu surrendered to Hamas, that he gave up too soon. They wanted to see more aggressive action because these are the people, Diane, who live down here who have to deal with all of those rockets, 300-plus rockets coming over uh, in just a few short hours. But the ceasefire is holding, and Prime Minister Netanyahu did actually defend uh, the ceasefire today. He said their enemies begged for it, that Hamas begged for a ceasefire. And he said he hears these voices. He saw the videos of the protests. These voices are precious to him. Again, he needs these voices and these votes to stay in power. But he said that not everyone understands the full security picture, that his priority is to keep Israel and Israelis safe, uh, and that he and the security chiefs all agreed that right now, full-out, all-out war is not the choice, uh, not the right move. His defense minister, though, Diane, has resigned. Defense Minister Lieberman has stepped down. He announced this afternoon. Netanyahu says no war. Worries. I'll take on the defense minister role as well. So, Diane, if you can believe it, Prime Minister Netanyahu now is prime minister, foreign minister, and defense minister. But, of course, we're watching very closely down here on the southern border uh, to see if this ceasefire holds. Diane. All right. Netanyahu is a busy man. Molly Hunter there from the Israel-Gaza border. Molly, thanks. Back here at home, a prom photo is going viral that appears to show two high school students giving the Nazi salute. But those students, two of them at least, are now offering a different explanation. T.J. Holmes is in Wisconsin with the latest on that controversy. T.J.? Yeah, T.J. Holmes here in Baraboo, Wisconsin, a town of 12,000 people. And this 12,000 are getting a lot of attention they don't want right now because of a picture that was taken on these steps. That picture has essentially gone worldwide, went viral. You may have seen it by now of a group of students from the high school appearing to just about all of them give this Nazi salute. We've been given different uh, explanations for what we're seeing in that picture. Now we're getting another one. One of the students in the photo, Brock Turkington, who can be seen with his arm in the air, says it was actually the photographer's idea. He instructed them on what to do, but he also demonstrated for them, and they were just imitating what he told them to do. He said there was some confusion. They weren't quite sure what they should be doing and why they were doing it, but most of them, as you can see in the picture, did it anyway. That photographer, Peter Gust, is the one who explained to us that, in fact, he was only telling the students to wave and then the picture catches them in all different various forms and processes of, of waving. That's his explanation. Uh, so I'm sure uh, another day goes by, we will get another explanation. But what do you do uh, when a picture is supposed to be worth a thousand words, but everybody involved is giving you a different thousand words to explain? Police and school officials are investigating the matter. There are a lot of folks who, of course, are talking about racism, but they're also saying that something should happen to the students in this photo after the investigation, some kind of disciplinary action if they are still in school here. But they do have a community forum that is scheduled for later this week to discuss the matter. Now, I'm T.J. Holmes in Baraboo, Wisconsin, for ABC News Live.
All right, it's an odd one, TJ, that's for sure. Meanwhile, as we approach Thanksgiving, the TSA is predicting a record number of travelers will be hitting the airports. 25 million people, actually more than that. So what do we do? We made Steve Santani uh, go to the busiest, Steve Osantani rather, go to the busiest airport in the world in Atlanta. Steve must be loving this assignment. He's got the latest on that. Good morning, Steve. Diane, based on this year's travel patterns, with the travel patterns over the Memorial Day holiday, which has been the busiest so far, authorities at airports across the country are expecting a record travel season this Thanksgiving holiday. That is between this Friday and the Sunday after Thanksgiving. Airports across the country are expecting between 1.3 and 3 million travelers per day. Here at Atlanta's Hartsfield International Airport, the record currently is 93,000 travelers per day. They expect to surpass that on the Sunday after Thanksgiving. Authorities are giving tips to people who are coming to the airport. One big tip they're saying, if you're carrying a package, uh, to make sure that package is unwrapped, that rack packages are a little bit more difficult to get through security. And here's what authorities are gonna be talking about today. At this airport in particular, they have a problem with people bringing firearms in their carry-on. They're encouraging people to make sure that your bags are looked through, that you don't have those because already this year they're setting a record at this airport. Close to 300 passengers who've been stopped at TSA directly behind me with firearms. Diane. All right, Steve Osinsami, we appreciate it. Looks like the airport's calm for now, but I'm sure not for long. And finally, speaking of calm and not for long, let's check in with our weather center. Rob Marciano's keeping an eye on those winds blowing, the fires in California, as well as the cold now headed to the northeast. Rob? Hello, Diane. How are you? I know you're feeling the cold air here in the northeast. It's all ahead of the next system that's going to bring some wintry weather uh, to a good chunk of the eastern third of the country. Already with the cold air moving across the Great Lakes, we've had significant lake effect snow squalls that have hit uh, Rensselaer, New York, along I-90 and through the Capital District of Albany. Really snarling traffic. And uh, this is going to be an ongoing issue as cold air continues to filter off the, the Great Lakes. But a larger snow issue with this system that's developing all the way down to the Gulf of Mexico, rain to Florida, Georgia, the Carolinas. Note the icy mix in through parts of Virginia. This is by tomorrow morning, starting to reach into D.C., Philly, and New York throughout the day with uh, starting as snow and then mixing in, uh, especially more rain along the coastline. But interior parts of New England and uh, upstate New York, any spot northwest of I-95 is under the winter storm watches, winter storm warnings for St. Louis. So a significant, significant amount of wraparound moisture, especially with the upper level part of this thing. And look at that snow map. Something we don't like to see in the middle of November, but it is what it is. Uh, some folks are going to have to get their snow boots out. I just took my fire boots off uh, coming in from the, the California wildfires. We had a fresh fire overnight in San Bernardino County. This one was able to be snuffed out relatively quickly. Uh, the winds were gusting over 80 miles an hour yesterday. My goodness. Today, we'll see gusty winds, low levels of humidity. Again, red flag warnings remain posted for a good chunk of south, uh, southern California and uh, critical fire danger up again. Thank goodness we got away from the extreme fire danger, so not quite as windy as yesterday, but bone dry as those uh, firefighters continue to, to battle the flames. No rain expected throughout really the entire state of California, probably for a good week. So 
hopefully the, the rainy season can't come soon enough for the folks in California, that's for sure. Diane, back to you. All right, that's Rob Marciano from the Weather Center. Rob, thanks. And that does it for us here at The Debrief. Thank you for watching. Remember, you can catch your headlines all day long at abcnews.com or at your ABC News app. For ABC News Live, I'm Diane Macedo. Have a great day, everyone. Stay safe.